0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Hello there, I'm Austin Bristow and you're listening to On The List. For episode 31 on Sunday, February 13th, I'm joined by pitchless writer, Anthony Tucker. Anthony, thanks for joining me.
2: Hey, Austin. Happy to be here. Um, you know, what better way to celebrate Super Bowl Sunday than uh, talking a little fantasy baseball and uh, life at pitcher list? So i um, really excited to uh, chat with you here today.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Should be great. Uh, now, for those of you who aren't super familiar with Anthony he is a, an LA Rams fan currently wearing the hoodie it is a big day for him and I am very pleased he was uh willing to come on this morning to chat with me it's about uh new, almost noon now so we've got a few hours still before the game Anthony how are you feeling are you anxious
2: yeah you know this is kind of perfect timing because it's uh it's getting me away from just like watching the you know 8 to 10 hours of pregame coverage and getting anxious about it. So it's this is a good like very welcome distraction to uh get my mind off the game um and I I know once uh you know 6:30 Eastern rolls around I'll just be like on edge um you know anxious the entire time. I've I've witnessed quite a few years of bad bad Rams football, so now that they're uh now that they're a good team, um it's it's uh it's a weird feeling to uh See them in the Super Bowl again, uh, even after just a couple of years ago, uh, after they lost to the Patriots.
1: Yeah, I, I basically only follow baseball. And so I, I, while the Braves did win the World Series this last year, it is a series. There's multiple games. So it do, it, nothing really comes down to one big game like the Super Bowl, where you are waiting until that day, and it's only going to be a few hours, and it's over. You're mm-hmm. either going to be a champion or you're going to walk away disappointed. So it's, I, I can imagine that this is f- far more nerve wracking, really, than like having your team in the World Series.
2: Definitely. And it's like, what do you do? Like, what happens when they win? Like, how do you feel? Like, you know, my team's never won a Super Bowl before. So I'm sure as a Braves fan, you had similar feelings of like, oh, like this is what it's like when your team wins. Um, so oh, yeah, it definitely was- looking forward to that feeling if it comes. <laughs>
1: Fingers crossed for you, man. I, yeah, I have no allegiances when it comes to football. I only because I'm from Illinois. I'm a self-proclaimed Bears fan, I guess. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I do not follow football at all. But we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Now, for those of you who are first time listeners here. Every week, I'm joined by a writer from the Pitcher List staff. We like to talk baseball, We'll discuss what they've been working on recently, and we do a mailbag session at the end where we want to answer your questions. You can send those questions directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski, or you can even better hop onto our PL Plus Discord server where I ask those questions before every recording. Now, Anthony, where can the people find you on Twitter?
2: They can find me at AnthonyTucker81.
1: Very straightforward spell exactly how you think it
2: is <laughs> yeah um I'm trying to uh you know my twitter game is uh's been fairly weak in the past, um trying to a- as we enter this next season, get a little more active, um hopefully build up a little bit more of a following, so um you know check me out there and, and hopefully uh i uh, I'll be putting out some some good stuff this uh, upcoming baseball season
1: looking forward to it now. We're just going to start it off nice and easy here. Just a very open-ended question. Just go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Of course. Yeah. So I am entering my second season on the Pitcherless staff. Um, You may recognize uh, my Twitter handle or myself from the weekly 2 start pitcher articles. Uh, Last year uh, was my first year taking that on and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, I joined PitcherList after the shortened 2020 season. Uh, you know, I had been reading and enjoying PitcherList for a, quite a few years. And uh, I came across a uh, tweet from Nick about, um, you know, an open, open application for writers um, and was just really intrigued by it. So I put together a sample um, you know, did the interview and you know, find myself here today. So um, you know, shameless plug if, if you're interested and even if you don't have writing experience, um, you know, it was I I guess I'm a uh I I'm kind of an example of even if you don't have that writing experience, you know, put something together and uh you know hopefully try to join us here here on the staff or as a PL plus member in our Discord because it's it's been an awesome experience so far.
1: I mean for a guy who claims not to have much writing experience uh you you were uh unfortunate enough to be stuck on my team for uh so i'm your manager and uh i looked over your first few articles and i mean really there wasn't a ton to correct or anything like that you've got a good uh good kind of sense of how to put the information out there and everything like that so well done sir
2: I appreciate it. Yeah. definitely have enjoyed uh your mentorship over the last uh year or so. Um you know, outside of that, um grew up in New Jersey. Spent uh, my whole my whole childhood there.
1: Condolences. Um,
2: yeah, it, it's um it it's not a place where uh people um, you know, are, are typically um super excited to say they're from, but it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you can make fun of, of New Jersey if you're from there, but you don't like it when, when other people do. Um, I
1: think I've had about like three or four uh, New Jerseyans. Is that, is that what I had the, de- the demonym there? Three or four fair, New yeah. Jerseyans on uh, the podcast at this point. So we've got quite a few, you know, natives of Jersey. That Yeah. Are we've got strong a strong
2: following at Pitcherless from Jersey. Um, so yeah, yeah, de- definitely. Um, I I don't think I'm I don't think I'm quite the New Jersey stereotype, but uh, definitely proud to say that I I am from there. Um, I did relocate, went to college out in northern Indiana over at Notre Dame. And then I relocated after college to northern Virginia, just out of outside of Washington, D.C. uh, for work. Uh, My full time career has uh, largely been around um, kind of the corporate strategy realm.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Now, I know it. uh you know really aren't really that far apart we really should at some point maybe in the next meetup. uh i take a train ride to dc we meet up and head on up to new york just for you know we can actually meet meet in person meet the rest of the staff we should try and make that happen
2: yeah we should get a, a mid-atlantic kind of uh pictureless crew together and there, there's a lot of cool places between northern virginia and uh north carolina you got you know, Richmond, Charlottesville, all the Appalachia region. Um, So a lot of, lot of cool, cool places uh, in in between.
1: Absolutely. Good stuff. Now, how is it that, you know, you got into baseball as this passion of yours that's led you to the staff?
2: Yeah. Yeah, of course. So I've always loved baseball, even, you know, since I was a little kid, just, you know, playing T-ball up through little league, Um, I had like, you know, maybe in like middle school, early high school, I dabbled into fantasy baseball, but didn't really get hooked on it. Um, I got back into fantasy baseball when I was doing my uh, master's program. I joined a league, um, you know, super low stakes, just like a bunch of, a, a bunch of kids, uh, from my college, but I just really enjoyed the aspect of it where it just introduced me to players across the league. um, A lot of whom weren't all that noteworthy that I didn't know of before. And now they were like, um, kind of like at the core of my fantasy team and at the crux of like winning or losing. Like I didn't know who these were when I was just like watching, you know, my team play. Um, But so it really just kind of like opened the aperture to understanding a lot more of like the overall baseball player pool. Um, And outside of that, I just really liked the strategic aspect of kind of building your fantasy team throughout the season. Um, I also play fantasy football, but it just feels like fantasy baseball, there's a lot more strategy and a lot more kind of like, I don't know, strategy and kind of like chess piece moving that you can do throughout the season and building your team. Um, There's certainly a luck aspect of fantasy baseball, which I enjoy on like a game by game or week by week basis. But I think it's the difference between fantasy baseball and fantasy football, um, while well, I enjoy both in that fantasy baseball, while there is some luck, you can kind of change the trajectory of your team throughout the season by just like diving in deep, uh, you know, to the numbers and, and getting, getting more analytical. Whereas football, you're sometimes beholden to just like, you know, does your player fall into the end zone, um, you know, from the one yard line or something like that. Yeah, uh, a lot so, more
1: injuries in football, yeah. and I feel like and, you have
2: more control, in yeah, for baseball.
1: sure longer season for baseball, fewer injuries um and a lot more you know numbers based and so you can really do you can really deep dive on that research to try to parse together how you might be able to you know traverse the random nature of sports,
2: yeah, and I would say you know that while there is a little you know there is an element of luck to fantasy baseball more often than not over the course of a full 162 game season the better fantasy teams end up in the playoffs and usually you know maybe not the best team wins but the best teams are the ones in the playoffs yeah um you know for example i played in a league last year where my team was like I think I was sitting in last like a month or two into the season and I had Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, and and a few other guys. And they, you know, they started the season off a little slow, but, you know, so I thought I had drafted this, you know, woefully underperforming team. But once you got through the entire season and they both went on like unreal heaters in the second half, kind of everything, uh, you know, evened out from like a luck perspective.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's it, everything seems to always regress to the mean in baseball. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, the best teams often make it to the playoffs. A great example uh, in the pitcherless legacy league, like the top league of all of our staff leagues, the last three years in a row, the championship has been played between John Metzeler and Rick Graham. <laughs> it's insane. Those two guys have been the only ones to make it to the championship wow. round in the last three seasons.
2: Well, wow, that's impressive. That's, that's an accomplishment. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because we, we have a lot of these cool leagues at PitcherList list that you can kind of like follow along throughout the year. Um, and it's interesting because I think MLB would be best served to really promote fantasy baseball more than they do today. Cause I, I think it does really keep you interested. And there's a lot of like cool, you know, interesting ways to play throughout the year um but you know among many of the head scratching things that major league baseball does like you know blackout restrictions service time manipulation manipulation and you know the list goes on and on it's it's odd that they haven't learned or, like learned from the nfl and leaned a lot more heavily into uh fantasy baseball because um you know i think like with like a lot of our like staff leagues and things like that it's just like such a fun way to um, you know, stay involved throughout the, the baseball season. Um, and, you know, if, say if you're in a league with those two guys, like there's there's a lot of motivation to kind of learn more about the game and hopefully like unseat one of them. Um, yeah. So that's one of the uh, other, other fun things that, that I really enjoy about uh, playing fantasy.
1: Yeah. When I got my start in fantasy back in about 2010, um, my first leagues were actually on MLB.com they mm-hmm. used to host a fantasy site it no longer is active anymore um but back in the day the weird part about the mlb.com site instead of drafting pitchers
2: i was just going to say that they would draft, draft, draft a staff, pitching staff right like how 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 insane is that like you know half the player pool and you just pick a staff like yeah it's it's, it, it's crazy it was
1: kind of Awesome! I really enjoyed it because, like back in the day, you would get like the Dodgers staff to have Kershaw, and oh gosh, who was still on? Who was pitching on that team back in the day? I don't even remember. But Dodgers were always good. Zach Nationals, Granky, yeah. yeah. Nationals oh, were always good back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, Phillies, really.
2: yeah, that that Cy Young uh, group of uh, rotation that they had yeah. back in the day
1: the Tigers back when they had Scherzer and Verlander. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was really interesting because you would get points every day from your pitching staff, depending on how the starter did and the relievers, Uh, how ultimately basically how many runs did the team give up. Um, And once they shut that down, my league moved to ESPN. And because it's always been a very low key, Uh, We're competitive, but not like to a point where we want to spend a ton of time on it. Um, We are now a hitters only league. We didn't want to uh, pick up, you know, drafting individual pitchers. We talked about it and we decided, you know what? No, we're just going to stick with hitters only. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is one of the most enjoyable leagues I have. It's a weekly, weekly lineups, hitters only only 10 teams so it's really low key i just check in on it like once or twice a week make sure my lineup's set every monday and it's a good time i get to play against my dad some of my best friends from high school some of my teachers from high school so that's
2: it's really great. interesting is it a points
1: league a categories league for the, the hitting it, is, it, it is it is points uh, oh, cool. points league so it's really the as as streamlined as you can get, try to get the best players, mm-hmm. best hitters uh, for your team. It's really it, the the draft is always the most important thing. Like I remember one year, uh, the guy who picked up uh, Aaron Judge in the first week ended up winning the league because mm-hmm. his rookie season was insane. Um, the other weird part about our league is we, even though it's a points league, we don't penalize strikeouts. Okay. so like Judge Stanton, uh, Gallo, all those all those Yankee sluggers are even better in this game. Basically, (laughs) oh, they're they're pretty great. Um, So, yeah, it's one. That's another thing about fantasy baseball is there's so many different variations that you can do. To really make it what you want, mm-hmm. whether it's dynasty, whether it's the wacky leagues that we do here where you try to do worst ball or something like that. So there's there is a fantasy baseball league for everyone.
2: Definitely. definitely, <laughs> Yeah. And if, if you haven't done any of the wacky leagues at PitcherList, List, I did the... Um, the blind draft last year. And that was, uh, that was a bunch of fun. So, um, definitely recommend, uh, if you're looking to add a fantasy league, that's not your, you know, traditional, uh, Roto or points league.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Well, let's see here. Why don't you tell me a bit about, uh, we've talked a bit about the, your favorite teams. Who are you rooting for being growing up in Jersey Uh, that puts you right in like that New York market. What's your team?
2: Yeah. So I actually have two, um, which I never thought I would, you know, be one of those people, like, especially growing up, I diehard Yankees fan. I never thought I would have two teams. Um, But the kind of story behind it is, you know, growing up in New Jersey, um, you know, I I kind of naturally picked the Yankees um, and I've rooted for them my entire life. Uh, Too young to have, really, like, witnessed or remembered their three-peat in the, uh, you know, the early 2000s, but vividly remember being devastated when they lost to that Marlins team in Mm -hmm. 2003, the Florida Marlins, with, uh, you know, Dontrell Willis, Josh Josh Beckett, Juan Pierre, and then Miguel Cabrera. Um, Totally, you know, separate tangent. But, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, who my favorite, you know, the story of me picking my favorite teams and thinking about that that's one of my earliest like Yankee fan memories. It's crazy to think about just like, or maybe it's just been lost on me individually, but the longevity of Miguel Cabrera, um, you know, yeah. like I'm almost 30, I'm in my late 20s. Um, and this kid, this guy was a rookie when, you know, when I first started watching baseball, Um, And, you know, he hasn't really done much in the last five years, but just out of curiosity, um, this morning I looked up his career stats and even after these last five years, he still has a career 310 average and 920 OPS. Um, Just like I think we sometimes and maybe again, maybe it's just me, but like, I think I forget about just like how just dominant his peak was and just how long it was like he essentially like you know entered the league and then just was like you know at his best for like those first like 10 to 12 years um so shout out there to Miguel Cabrera yeah, um I
1: was I'm looking at and I, the other thing is it's only been really two teams he's only ever played for Florida or Detroit
2: yeah that's probably part of it too he's never you know been in the spotlight of like a major market obviously he was on some uh some good teams during his career but he didn't quite have that you know major media market to kind of hype him up as you know as if he would have in like if he played in LA or New York um or you know or or someplace like that but um have rooted for the Yankees my whole life um and you know it's it's been fun to root for a team that's consistently trying to win. Um, I often know, like wonder, like if I would have stayed as big a baseball fan, um, as I have, if my team just like, wasn't usually making a, an honest effort to win baseball games. Um, but, um, once I moved to the DC area, I adopted the Washington nationals as a second team to root for. Um, it's a really fun, you know, it's, I'm, you know, only like 10 miles outside of DC. So it's like a really fun thing to do it to go like in the summer to go just like hang out at NAS games. Um, it's, there's like this little known like secret at NAS park. If you like go to the, the ticket office, the day of the game, they sell $5 tickets. Um, and so like you, obviously like you think of like going to baseball games, like as like, something that can be like way too expensive sometimes, but like if you don't care that you're sitting in like, you know, the 400 level, which I don't like, as long as I'm in the, in the stands, I'm happy. Um, So I've just gotten to so many Nats games because of that, um, you know, that whatever, like promo or whatever you want to call it that they have. Um, And so I've been here since the summer of 2017. And so I've gotten the chance to just see so many like, you know, generationally good baseball players. Um, You know, I was here for the last like year and a half of Bryce Harper's tenure. So I saw him, Rendon, Trey Turner, Scherzer, Strasburg, Soto, uh, the list goes on. Um, And, you know, they're not quite what they were when I first, uh, you know, arrived here, but um, they're another team that you do feel like they're actually trying to win. Um, Even in their rebuild, um, I'm kind of confident that they're not just going to, um, you know try to like be bad for a long time um i think they're they're with Mike Rizzo and um you know the the rest of the uh management team i think they're going to try to uh make it a quicker rebuild uh was devastated when they traded Turner and Scherzer um was devastated when they let Rendon walk but um it feels like they're they're actively trying to win which i i appreciate um yeah,
1: they definitely seem to recognize that Soto is a generational talent and they're They've seen how uh, how the Angels have done with their yeah. generational talent. And have, are, I, it seems like the Nationals do not want to waste this uh, this young man's career.
2: Yeah, I, I will say I'm a little worried. Like, I, I hope they get the Soto. I hope they, you know, write Soto a blank check sooner rather than later. Um, they obviously let Harper walk. Um they weren't interested in paying Trey Turner, I think, primarily because they thought if they did, they wouldn't have the, the um, you know, capacity to pay Juan Soto. Right. Um, so I'm hoping all of this, like, you know, tearing things down to the studs, um, you know, ends up with them signing Soto to a long term deal, because I, I think that was a lot of the intent, um, you know, tearing things down quickly so they could get him for the long haul and then build around him. So we'll be devastated if uh, they don't reach a long-term ex- extension with him. Um,
1: yeah, his his skill set is just so s- built to mm-hmm. last into his 30s. Um, he's going to be a free agent come 2025. He's mm-hmm. got two more years of arbitration. Um I would not be surprised to see them try to buy out his arbitration years and sign up to like a 12-year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does have Boris as an agent. Yeah. And so <laughs> always a that scary might thing to hear. <laughs> yeah,
2: when, when it's your team like it's scary to hear that Scott Boris is the player's agent. Obviously hope he gets every dollar that he can. Um like it's it sounds hyper- like hyperbole but he like very much feels like like a Ted Williams type of of talent, which again, like how do you ever compare someone to that? But like just these first few years of his career, um, you know, if if the Nationals don't just write him a blank check, I don't know like what they're doing. Um, it, maybe it's 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 not my money, but um that that's what I'm hoping for as a fan. Just give him every dollar he deserves and then um, figure out the rest uh, once you have him in tow for the for the long run.
1: Yeah, he seems like he. he Juan Soto has the potential to be the greatest player out of the uh, Expos and Nationals system that's mm-hmm. ever been, including guys like Harper, Turner, and um, Vlad Guerrero Sr. Like yeah, Harper or sorry Soto excuse me has the potential to be one of the greatest players of all time if he can stay healthy and continue to make this production i mean as a 19 year old he had a 406 obp (laughs) yeah that's insane
2: it's i i think the most telling thing is that like bryce harper was like you know like the face of dc sports um and it was this huge deal when he left. And, like, very quickly, like, it felt like even just, like, months later, people, like, around, like Nats fans didn't really care so much because Juan Soto just kind of, like, made them forget. And, like, you know, Harper's the reigning MVP of the league. And no one's all – like, obviously, in a perfect world, he'd be a Nat. But, like, no one is all that heartbroken because they know, like, you know, if we had signed – harper to you know that huge deal maybe uh soda wouldn't be an app for life right um so that kind of just speaks to just how like next level his talent is that he's made dc mostly forget about bryce harper i don't know maybe that's just my perspective maybe that's not how everyone else feels but um yeah it's he's just so fun to watch in person like you know that you're watching like you know an historically large baseball uh, baseball player when you, when you're, you know, seeing him take it. bats,
1: yeah. You just hope that he can stay healthy. We're starting to see Mike trout break down a little bit and I am praying that trout <laughs> can stay mostly healthy throughout his thirties. But uh, yeah, if we can see, I love when these generational talents are able to just show us what they can do for two decades at a time. Yeah. It's, amazing and it, i mean i'm a sucker for players that stick with one team their entire career like chipper jones style mm-hmm. um so hopefully if, freddie
2: freeman <laughs>
1: uh, please please Yeah, i had to just go look him up to see it, who his agent is it's not boris it, freddie freeman is with excel sports management never heard okay. of okay so, you,
2: so you hopefully have a chance <laughs>
1: oh gosh i am so anxious about getting Freddie back on the
2: Atlanta roster. But
1: we will discuss that another time.
2: <laughs> Definitely threw you there. I will say about Soto, like you talk about, you know, seeing these players like, you know, in person, transcendent. I was at the the wild card win over the break or excuse me, over the Brewers in yeah. 2019 when, uh, you know, Soto had that hit off hater. Um, and he drove in three runs. Um, that was like the wildest sports moment like in person that I think I'll ever experience. Um, and it, you know, it was just so cool to see it like that. I mean he was well, I think he was 20 at the time. know, um, yeah, I, I think people quickly forgot about that 2019NAts team. Um, just they went from being, I think it was like 19 and 34 to you know sneaking into the playoffs and you know putting it all together. Um, obviously the Astros sign ceiling scandal kind of quickly like took the attention off of them. And then COVID there were no fans in the stands. Um, So that 2019 Nats team was so fun to just watch on a daily basis. Um, I kind of wish they got their due just like in the national spotlight. Um, But regardless of what happens with Soto's career, um, we'll always be a fan after uh, 2019.
1: Yeah. I can't blame you now. I know we've waxed poetic about Juan Soto for a few minutes now, but do you have a favorite player of all time, or and is
2: Juan
1: Soto moving into that spotlight?
2: <laughs> well, if you feel if weird, I don't know this. Is if if you feel this way, now that I'm getting older, it feels weird that like your favorite players are now like younger than you are. Um, yep. So I would say like locked in for the rest of time. It'll always be Bernie Williams for me. Um, he just I don't know in many ways he was just kind of overlooked on all those Yankees teams just because they had so many stars. Um, but he was just such like a likable guy from a personality perspective. He was, just always professional calm. Um, you know, he just always had that same demeanor, whether it was just, you know, like a blowout win in the middle of like May, or he was like up the plate in the world series with like, you know, a, a key situation. Um, so it definitely would be Bernie Williams for me. Um, his playoff performance throughout the year. I know like, you know, really like hardcore baseball fans know how great he was in the playoffs, but I think you sometimes forget because he played alongside Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera, just how dominant he was in the playoffs and in the world series. Um, so, so he would always be, you know, my, my favorite player um, just because he was like the guy who, um, you know, I could root for while I was growing up and starting to love the game Um As I got older, he moved on and retired, Uh, also became a really big Johnny Damon fan. Um, And it was really, it's the same reasoning, like personality um, and the way he played, Uh, but like they had totally opposite personalities. Um, You know, the Yankees always kind of have this reputation um, where they're kind of like too buttoned up. Um, and Johnny Damon was just like the opposite, just kind of like this free spirit personality, which was like welcome as a fan to be able to see like a guy like really like just like having fun. Um, and I mean, he had an absolutely terrible arm in center field for the Yankees; um, was an absolute liability at that point of his career in the field. But um, just like a fun player to root for at the time. Yeah, I can't blame you.
1: I'm looking at uh, Bernie Williams' postseason numbers. He played in 121 games in the postseason, so essentially a full season's worth. Yeah. Uh and hit 22 homers, had 80 run 80, uh RBI and 83 runs, 275 average and a 480 slug.
2: Yeah, and and you think like he's you know, those stats are coming against the best opponents, right? Like yeah, two seventy-five average against you know postseason. you know, the best pitching staffs in the league. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, he might not be a Hall of Famer, but like he had a Hall of Fame postseason career. Um, so um, you know, he's uh definitely will, will always be my my favorite player.
1: I can't blame you for that one. Can't blame you at all all uh now as far as your fantasy leagues go uh you said you've been playing for a while now what kind of leagues do you like to play in how many are you in right now etc cetera, etc cetera. tell me about your fantasy career
2: yeah so it definitely fluctuates from year to year um i i feel like i'll often sign up for like more than you know i'll, I'll bite off more than i can chew in of terms course. of like wanting to sign up for you know, way too many leagues, but I do play in two like annual daily leagues. Um, both are head-to-head categories. Um, one is a redraft and uh, one is a dynasty league or a keeper league. And um, so we have had those leagues going for, I want to say I've been in them like four or so years straight now. Um, so it's been fun to play with like the same group of people year over year. Um, and they're both different groups of people, which is cool. Um, since I've joined Pitcher List, I've also uh, started playing in TGFBI and the uh, Razzball uh, Best Ball League, RazzSlam. Um, those are really fun just to feel like you're playing against other people who are, you know, as passionate and as interested in fantasy baseball as you are. Um, it's cool to just kind of match up against them. I did not do well in either league. Um, I, do, I don't remember a lot about my TGFBI team last year, but I do remember drafting Anthony Rendon, Shane Bieber and Luke Voigt. Um, You it's know, great in, in a, you know, are those, are those TGFBI, are they 15 team leagues? Yeah. Yeah. In a 15 team league, like those being like a lot of like the base of your team, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have a good time. Um, so I, you know, I, I, think i finished somewhere in the middle of my league but um i was pretty much doomed from the start um so definitely hoping to use those lessons and uh do a little better this next year um i would say just like my favorite type of league to play in is redraft head-to-head categories um i i think a lot of fantasy baseball articles analysis podcasts they really focus more, it seems like on traditional Roto leagues, or they'll focus on like the NFBC format, um, which I feel like is not how the majority of people play. Um, I, I think, you know, even though Roto is like the traditional way to play fantasy baseball, I think like most, like, just like a group of 10 to 12 friends when they create a league, they typically lean towards playing in like a, you know, head to head categories league. Um, and I, I think that's fun and keeps you interested throughout the year. Is like your your matchup changes throughout the week, and you'll you know match up against different friends. Um, so that that's my favorite type of way to play. I do like my dynasty league, but I feel like unless you're in a league with like twelve devoted hardcore baseball fans, those get lopsided pretty quickly. Um, you know, if if you don't have like a you know. Very like kind of like escalating, like, you know, like salaries and like escalating right. floors. Like, I am our league is just like it's a keeper league and you keep most of your roster. And at this point, just from like kind of like being like shrewd throughout the year, I have like you know an outfield that's like Mookie Betts, Luis Robert, um, Jared Kelnick. Like, I just like have like an embarrassment of riches um you know and you start to like have like a clump of like two or three teams that look like that and the rest are just in like perpetual rebuilding um so for those reasons i like dynasty leagues but i prefer redraft sure. um don't play in any high stakes leagues um i don't think that i really ever plan to um i definitely get the allure of doing them um but you know and we have a buy in for both of my leagues uh but it, you know it's relatively small I, I think I don't do it. Cause the thing I like about fantasy baseball is that it's kind of like an outlet from everything else. And it's something that, like you stress about in a very like, um, like artificial way. Like, you know, like, yeah. it, you know, I'm stressing about it, but I know if my team comes in last, like, you know, whatever, I'll try again next year. Um, so it's something to get into and passionate about for me, but I like it because there aren't really any stakes. Yeah. Like, it's just like my team was great this year. Like, that, you know, that's enough, like, utility for me. Um, and, I you know, I think if I got to the point, you know, where there was, like, too much skin in the game, um, I, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. It'd feel more like a job. And the reason I, I play you. it is because it distracts me from, like, you know, the stress of, like, your 9 to 5 or your school, you know, your classes or, or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say I like to keep my fantasy leagues pretty, um, like, I like to be invested in them, but I also like it to be a low, you know, low key environment.
1: I definitely agree. I, uh, I have never paid for a league just because I don't, I don't want it to be a pressure sort of thing. I want this to be fun. It's a Mm -hmm. game. I understand that some folks will do a small buy-in to just keep folks, uh, like engaged and everything like that, Mm -hmm. which I respect that. That makes sense to me. um, I, for the first time I joined a dynasty league and I did like a, I think it was a $20 buy-in. And so I can, I can handle that. I would, I would never want to do like a hundred bucks or more, Mm -hmm. which just it it would, it would, that would stress me out, I
2: think. And
1: I don't, I don't want that. I just want to play fantasy baseball and enjoy it. So.
2: Yeah. I will say we, in my one league with a buy-in we do structure it such that I've, I think we pay out in like quarters. So like if you had the best like four week stretch in the standings, um, like you'll get, you know, whatever your buy-in was back. And then, you know, whoever wins the playoffs of the regular season gets, you know, whatever, you know, 50% of like what the total pot would have been. Um, So it's like a good way to like a small buy-in can like keep people invested. And if you break up when the payouts happen, you kind of have people that even if they have no chance of making the playoffs, it keeps them like trying um through the end of the season so i will say that that is one way that that buy-ins are um convenient
1: i like that 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 is a that's a good way to do that now you've been here for like you said just a year now but has the in that time has there been an article or project you have worked on you're particularly proud of
2: yeah um i would say if there's just like one individual article it would be Um, about this time last year, last preseason, I wrote an article looking at the 2020 shortened season leaderboards for, um, chase rate and walk rate. Mm -hmm. Um, I did that basically to see like, you know, who are guys that we may be overlooking and the kind of onus behind that was that, you know, in a shortened season, you kind of need to look at stats that stabilize quicker. Um, and those two plate discipline stats are, are two of the quickest to stabilize. So you can kind of hopefully get stats that you believe in that, you know, that might, um, you know, help you find some values or guys who got unlucky in the, in the, the prior season, uh, in the COVID shortened season. Um, not all the picks panned out. I did, uh, I did tout Aaron Hicks and Clint Frazier. Um, I think the logic was sound behind both of them, or I hope the logic was sound. They just didn't pan out and not all of them will, but I did, um, I did kind of, um, get on my soapbox for Max Muncy and that paid off really well. Um, you know, he was, I don't know, fifth or fourth or fifth in the MVP voting in the national league. I think Uh, he had a great year and Mark canna as well is like, kind of like a late round accumulator. Um, and he panned out uh, pretty well before getting injured late in the season um so i was really proud about that because i was like Kyle Seeger
1: in there too which was a yeah good call
2: yeah cheap cheap power um he hit what 30 something homers
1: something like that yeah last and then year it, yeah and then went out on top he is retired yeah. now
2: yeah the way to go um yeah i forgot about Seeger so there were a couple wins um and and none of them were like really going out on a limb too much like you know, I didn't go out and say, like, I don't know. Um, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Like, none of them probably won you your league outright. But, like, I, I think there was some skepticism behind all of those players. And I, you know, I think um, just looking at those stats and just kind of looking at the other stats around those uh, was, was really helpful. Um, on just a, you know, weekly writing basis, I've, Really enjoyed writing the two-star pitcher articles. Um, really proud of that um, in my time. Just because, like I said, didn't before joining pitcher List, I never wrote for like a fantasy baseball website before. Um, there was definitely a learning curve that came in those first few weeks, but then I think I quickly like settled into a flow and understood like what I like to kind of what I like to point out when when looking for a two-star pitcher. Um, what I think is important. Once what I um, you know, what I prioritize when looking for a guy off the wire for just for like a two-start stream. Um, try to balance those like advanced or, you know, more advanced stats um, like CSW rate, uh, strikeout minus walk rate, um, what the opponent's team WRC plus is. Taking those and then supplementing it with more, um, I'll say like qualitative, like quick hitting kind of details, like, hey, you know, Zach Allen hasn't had a feel for his secondaries lately. He's getting, you know, he he's getting two, like, kind of poor matchups in hitters park. Like, you might be best to avoid him this week. And I, I think I kind of settled on having that blend because I think most people go into reading that article not for, like, this, like, in-depth, deep analysis, but they just want to, like, read something for, like, somewhere between, like, three to five minutes and quickly yeah. find out, like, who do I pick up this week? Um, And once I kind of put my, you know, got my head around that, that like, I didn't need to do a deep dive on every pitcher in the rankings. It, I was much better at, you know, putting together something useful for, uh, for our readers.
1: For sure. I went back to look at your, uh, 2021 bold predictions and review. Mm. Uh,
2: I think I was what? 10%. They were bold.
1: There's, there's some bold ones in here. (laughs) Um, S- some good ones. Uh, Clint Frazier is a top thirty outfielder.
2: Yep, that I got a meg on my face for that one. James that Paxton
1: outperforms his twenty nineteen season.
2: I will say, if you're looking at just ratios, yep. In those what <laughs> three innings that Paxton threw last year, the ratios <laughs> were golden. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Does that one count? Probably not. But uh, at I'm least a- four
1: shortstops finished with a higher roto value than Fernando Tatis
2: yeah so the logic was there on that one right it was and you know it sounds like i didn't predict an injury for him but i did say like he is a young guy who has like kind of a piling up injury history like he had the back injury Mm -hmm. he had already had some history of shoulder Shoulder stuff yep shoulder stuff um and obviously like i like baseball like a hundred times more when fernando tatis is on the field but when that happened i was like oh my gosh like yeah you know, that like man. that was, I thought that was the boldest prediction I made and I was like, of course that'll be the one that hits, but of course he somehow you know with that terrible injury just came back like it was nothing um so never I'm never doubting Fernando tatis again uh yeah. injury injuries or or whatnot aside um so yeah that one looks pretty bad as well.
1: this is my favorite one uh Herman Marquez starts game one of a playoff series for the angels
2: yep. Yeah, I I love
1: that so much.
2: You got to be bold, right? Like we've talked about it before, like just you you and I, like the point is to be bold and, um, you know, you're not supposed to be hitting, you know, 30, 40% of these. Um, So I just thought about the Angels, like, and you look at them again, the same way this year, like they have so many pieces and like dollars invested in, you know, parts of that team, but you look at their starting pitching staff. And it's like they need to, you know, they need to fill it out. Obviously, Patrick Sandoval, um, you know, broke through a bit last year, but it's interesting to me that they're going to rely on, I don't even know who's in their rotation. Like, obviously, Noah Sindergaard, but I don't know how much, you know, how much they can really rely on him for innings. Um, At this point,
1: their rotation is looking like they're probably going to do a six man so that Otani mm-hmm. can pitch every sixth day uh Otani, Cindergard, Sandoval. Okay, that that sounds pretty mm-hmm. good if if healthy. Then they have Michael Lorenzen, Jose Suarez, and Jamie Barre- or Jaime Barrera. Yeah, and So not great.
2: Yeah, and like I love Otani, but he does have like double the injury risk because, you know, he's hitting every day and he's a pitcher like it feels and then Syndergaard, I don't know what he'll look like. But where do those, you know, even in a six-man rotation, like where are they getting the innings from? Um, and it's always fun to think about, like, you know, name X, Y, or Z Rockies pitcher, what they would look like outside of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very
1: excited to see uh, John, Gray John Gray in a pitcher's park now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could be a deep sleeper this year. I feel like not there hasn't been as much like hype around him leaving – colorado as i might have thought it seems like low-hanging fruit to just say like oh the like former big prospect from colorado will now like you know change up his pitch mix and be great um but yeah i i, I think the like the lack of pitching for the angels and wanting to see herman marquez pitch outside of course was like the perfect combo to to make that bold prediction and yeah. obviously it didn't come true but uh who knows maybe i'll double down and and have it as my bold prediction for this year as well.
1: Same thing. I think, (laughs) honestly, that could be relevant. Uh, Looking at the free agents that are still left unsigned for pitchers, Carlos Rodon is available. Um, I don't think Kershaw is going to go across town. No. And then you really run out of talent fast. Tyler Anderson, Matt Harvey, Colin McHugh uh Danny Duffy could be interesting in LA just to soak up some innings Mm -hmm. honestly I think a good signing for them would be someone like Johnny Cueto who's when he's pitched the last few years has been pretty decent
2: yeah yeah it's um it dries up pretty quickly and those guys you mentioned like they all have some big red flags on them injury wise And what the Angels need is consistent innings. So, like, what is Kershaw going to be? You know, we don't really know right now, like the health status of Kershaw. Rodon is a little scary, a a lot scary from a health perspective. Um, So it's it's interesting. Like, Artie Moreno, like, has never been one to shy away from spending. It was surprising when he did spend. He spent it on a one-year deal for Syndergaard, um, as opposed to just going all in and like you know, trying to sign like a Robbie Ray or, you know, Gaussman or something. I don't know. Yeah, I
1: really thought Gaussman was going to be an angel. I was mm-hmm. a little shocked that Moreno let him get away.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't know a ton about like prospects and, you know, minor league systems, but I don't think they have much to like go out and make a trade either. Um, like they're big guys, you know, they, they have Detmers who, you know, I think they expect things from the future, but like they don't have many like trade chips. Like Joe Adele is a part of their team now. Brandon Marsh, a part of their major league team now. Like, I don't know where, what they have like left to uh, to work with if they wanted to swing a trade because the, the free agent market is drying up quickly.
1: It is. Um, looking over their team here. Ooh, yeah, it's really Detmer's and then it kind of gets... Uh... A little dicey after that. So, yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of other big names per se that would be all that uh, lauded after in a trade. So, Angels are in a weird spot where they've got pieces to make things work if everyone mm-hmm. stays healthy and actually produces. Cough, cough, Rendon. <laughs> um, I could see them pushing for an AL West title in the, in 22 or 23. But it's, it's one of those things where you, you just have to have everything click and it just has not happened in Anaheim.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a shame because they have like transcendent, not one transcendent talent, but two. Yeah. Um, And to like not have them in the post. And this is, you know, everyone always says it, but it's just like not good for baseball that Mike Trout is not on, you know, not on that national stage in the playoffs and like, agreed. Shohei Otani isn't, you know, hitting bombs and then, you know, like blowing people away with, with fastballs in the same playoff game. Yep. Um. So, you know, hopefully Rendon has a bounce back year. He's probably my favorite current major league player. Um. But yeah, it, it'd be a shame if they like lose that, you know, that window that feels like it's not going to be open for that much longer Um. given the age of, uh, you know, a lot of the middle of their, uh, their lineup.
1: Agreed. Well, outside of baseball, what, what else do you, uh, what else are you into hobbies, uh, job still things along those lines?
2: Yeah. Um, so like I, I mentioned earlier, I went to Notre Dame, um, obsessed with all things Notre Dame and Notre Dame sports. Um, I actually used to work as a student manager, uh, an undergrad for the football program and uh, worked in team operations uh, while I was doing my master's um, at Notre Dame and uh, got to travel with the team. Um, I was actually the guy who would do bed checks on the road. Um, which is kind of like a fun fact whenever I like go to a new job or something and they ask for one, uh, that's, that's always a good one to give. I'd make like the practice music playlists. So like a lot of like little, like odd jobs that I was responsible for. Um, I grew up a huge Notre Dame football fan. So then like, you know, going to school there and like having like the actual like keys to the stadium, um, was just like a weird, surreal kind of, um, experience and, and, you know, work-study job. Um, so lovely. that was, you know, in many ways a dream come true because I just got to be around the program for four years. Um, so have definitely kept up my, like, obsessive Notre Dame fandom since uh, both basketball, football, really all of their sports. Um, a lot of great great sports team there. Their baseball team um, has – their college team has um, really picked it up in the last year, uh, which was a very welcome sight. Uh, for me as a fan so uh, love Notre Dame Um, also a big LA Rams fan I know we're gonna get into that a little later Um, also what else do I like Um, I tried to pick up a lot of new hobbies during COVID Um, I got into distance running when like gyms closed um, and did not I don't think I I didn't appreciate like the um, like the health aspect of running and that like you shouldn't run too much or you should get the like proper, you know, like higher end running shoes. Um, so like probably I started running right when COVID started and by April or May, I had a stress fracture in my foot, uh, from running too many miles. Um, I've broken my foot two or three times since COVID started. Um, so my running days are, um, you know, I still run but nowhere near the distance that I was, uh, while I was, you know, pre-foot injuries. Um, What else did I do in code? I tried to teach. I'd never learned an instrument before. And I found, like, I Googled, like, what is the easiest instrument to learn? Found out that the ukulele is considered a really easy one because it only has four strings. Um, So I taught myself that. Um, Have not kept up with it as much as I should have or would have liked. I'm still really, really bad. Um, Only know four chords, but I can play a couple songs, which is, you you know, a bigger accomplishment than I ever would have thought for myself like a couple years ago. Um, So that's been a fun little side activity. Uh, Really like music, TV, um, have really gotten back into reading since like graduating college and, you know, being able to read just like for fun. Having time. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, those are are big hobbies. Um, And, you know. Once baseball season comes, I often table way too many of them because I like, I just, I'm watching an incredible amount of baseball during the season, just as I'm sure like you and many of like the people listening are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this period <laughs> after the Super Bowl where there's like nothing going on except for like college basketball where uh, I'll pick up the ukulele again. I'll, you know, do a lot more reading for fun. So looking forward to that.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff all around. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then we will get back into it. And we're going to talk about uh, some work you've been doing recently, talking about injured players and their comeback next year. Be right back. All right. So you've recently been working on a series of articles just two, I believe, on players that were injured in 2021 that we're looking at now and what we should expect from them in this 2022 season. So tell me a bit about what you got going on.
2: Yeah. um, And this is a shameless plug, but I'll direct people to the article. Uh, the SP bounce back article on pitcher list for like the uh, more like minutiae of why I think are, are around those hitters for the starting pitcher side. Um, I got burned a lot last year, as I'm sure many people did and relying on pitchers coming back from injury, um, you know, into the 2021 season. And I think that informed a lot of the way on like who I selected for the article um, so last year I was all in on drafting Luis Severino. Um, I drafted a lot of Steven Strasburg. Um, and, you know, you, you see these like recovery timelines and they, you, you kind of like take them as gospel. Um, but it, they, like last year, if there was, you know, an injury and a timeline for any player, it felt like it got pushed back and nothing went according to plan for anyone whether it be Chris Sale or Noah Syndergaard, Luis Severino, like the guys coming back from TJ, but also just other small injuries popping up. Um, So I say that to preface things with, like, I'm hoping to avoid a lot of the, you know, higher-risk injury pitchers this year, partly because there seems to be a lot more depth at the position this year. So the guys who I want to draft with, like, potential injury concerns or coming off injury are guys who, like, we've seen – Um, You know, we've seen pitch volume before, or guys who, um, you know, their injury may not be as serious as, you know, Thoracic Outlet or Tommy John, but they did miss a good chunk of the season. Um, So in the more earlier rounds, the kind of prime example for me of that would be Jack Flaherty. Um, I was never really in on Flaherty in the past because it felt like he was always overdrafted based on that like unreal second half in 2019 then 2020 a lot of it was or pretty much all of it was out of his control with like the big COVID outbreak for the cardinals so he didn't get to pitch a lot that year when he did it was like kind of out of rhythm because he was you know doing his you know pitching routine from like quarantine inside a hotel room then last season He he did miss a decent amount of time. Um, And because of that, it looks like he's being drafted now as a back end SP2. Um, And
1: Flaherty is going uh, 56th overall in drafts.
2: And that just feels like a value to me. Um, I I think, you know, we've seen what he can do when his fastball and slider are working, um, and he's still young. I, I think you couple that with the fact that. He plays in St. Louis in a, you know, very advantageous pitcher's park. He pitches behind um, or in front of, I should say, perhaps, or, you know, I I think probably unquestioned the best infield defense in baseball. He's got, you know, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader out in the outfield. Like he's got a great defense behind him and we've seen what he can do when he's in rhythm so if you're waiting on starting pitcher you're not like you know using your first or second round pick on a on a starting pitcher he feels like a guy who you're kind of probably getting at a pretty decent discount i think we are probably valuing him too highly in the past when he was like being picked more of like an sp1 uh, or that's what we were you know you know we were kind of expecting that big jump now i think he's at like the perfect point in the draft where I'm more than willing to take the, the chance on him. And none of his injuries were like shoulder related. Um, so I'm not all that concerned that like injuries are going to be something that, that happens a lot for him. Uh, so he's one of them. Uh, also touch on Zach Allen. Uh, I was on the pitch ADP player debate panel and, and brought a lot of this up on gallon before. So I'll keep it brief, but he just was, Out of rhythm, because of all the stops and starts, Uh, he made three different trips to the IL last year. Um, So I think a fresh, clean start is just going to work wonders for him. He can kind of get the feel back for his secondaries. Um, Even when nothing went right last year, his fastball still had like an elite called strike rate. Uh, And now he's going to have the benefit of Brett Strom behind him as pitching coach. Uh, I think that'll help him get into a groove uh, going into 2022. Uh, And the last one is is that I'll call out is Patrick Sandoval. Um, Back injuries are pretty scary because it seems like they always keep cropping up regardless of, you know, how, how much time you take off. You look at like Clayton Kershaw, I think has had a history of some back injuries. So that's a little scary from an injury perspective, but you know, what we saw him do last year, um, you know, for that month or two, he was in the rotation. Yeah. You, it was shocking to me to see he was available after pick 200. So that just feels like from like an ADP perspective, it just feels like there's a pretty big discrepancy there and you know what he's capable of and where he's currently going. Um, Yeah. And you know, outside of the pitchers, I do have the hitting piece coming out this coming Tuesday. Um, I'll kind of leave a lot of it um, kind of as a surprise for Tuesday, but I do touch on like, I believe six or seven players the one I'll say that is my favorite at his ADP is Luke Voigt. I feel like he's an absolute steal. Um, he's going um, well after pick 200. I'm not sure exactly where. I think it's around pick 270, or maybe I'm off there in NFBC. Um,
1: Voigt is at about 240.
2: 240, excuse me. 240. So even at 240, like he he did lead the league. He laid, led major league baseball and homers in 2020. Um, and he still hits the ball incredibly hard. His strikeout rate jumped up to like 30% last year, but he never got in a rhythm. He had a partially torn meniscus and immediately tried to come back way too early. So I'm willing to, um, you know, place a bet at that point in the draft that maybe he just played injured all year. And like that impacted his ability to, you know, make contact. Maybe that's part of the reason why his strikeout rate jumped. Sure. He, you know, I, I think a lot of where his ADP is, is because there's so much uncertainty of what his playing time situation is going to be like, but I don't think he's going to be a bench player. I think either the Yankees will, you know, give him the job if they don't get a Freddie Freeman or they don't like the, the don't price that is too rich there. for Matt Olson. Um, But you know, if they do get one of those, his value is biggest as a trade asset. Um, so you know, even if he goes to like a you know a poor hitters environment like Oakland, he still like he still has the power to hit a ton of homers. Um, and you know that level of production in the middle of an order after pick 240 seems like such a steal. Um, so that's a guy who I think will be on most of my teams uh, during drafts, especially if his draft um, or his ADP sticks around there. Um, but, uh, definitely, um, you know, for the rest of them, take a look at that article. Um, this was one of my favorite articles to write because I feel like on the hitting side, there's just so many values in, um, you know, hitters coming back from injury. I'm a little wary on the pitching side. Um, but I think we often, um, you know, we place too much emphasis or we're too quick to label someone as injury prone. Um, So, you know, I'll also like gladly be drafting Byron Buxton. Um, You know, he is going fairly high, but the potential that he has, um, you know, he he could be a first round hitter. Um, So I'm more than willing to take that injury risk. Some of the injuries were like a hand fracture after a hit by pitch. Like those are injuries that could happen to anyone at any time. So I don't know why we dock a player like him because he was just like, you know, unfortunate in that situation. Um, so I, I think hopefully that the article will be pretty valuable for you guys, uh, the listener, as uh, you start diving deep into uh, some analysis for your drafts into 2022.
1: Good stuff, good stuff, yeah. So, just kind of to uh, review here, um, first guy you mentioned there, Jack Flaherty, he's going at about 56th overall in ADP at the moment. Mm-hmm. Last year, um, I'm trying to remember what what was the injury that he dealt with. I tried to pull it up here, we couldn't get it quick enough.
2: Jack Flaherty, yes, um, I believe it was an oblique injury.
1: That's right, there it is. Um,
2: yep. And there might have been one other as well. Um, when he was that-
1: on the field, though, uh, he pitched. Uh, he started 15 games at uh, 78 innings pitched. For 85 strikeouts and a 322 ERA. So good Mm -hmm. production when he was on the field there. Uh, Zach Gallen is being drafted 125th overall. He was less uh, useful when he was on the field at a 430 ERA in 23 games started uh 139 strikeouts in 121 and a third innings still not bad um I agree that he's definitely the type that could come back his was a hamstring that he was dealing with mm-hmm. um which typically speaking is something that can last but once you have some time off of it not as bad of a recurring thing so mm-hmm. I have much more hope that with a nice offseason rest that Gallon can come back from that.
3: Patrick Sandoval
1: was the third one you mentioned, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he had started 14 games over 187, or sorry, 87, just 87 innings pitched. <laughs> had 94 strikeouts and a 362 ERA. Good stuff there. But his was maybe the worst injury as mm-hmm. he had a left lumbar spine stress reaction. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but it doesn't sound (laughs) good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a concern. I feel like at that point in the draft, I'm okay. Two hundred and
1: twelfth. I forgot to mention was uh, Patrick Sandoval's ADP there.
2: I feel like I'm okay with taking that risk there because if he doesn't perform well, like you, hopefully, go out and you find this year's version of Patrick Sandoval. Exactly. Um, So I I think the like, especially in more shallow leagues. the risk reward there is well worth it i do want to correct myself i mentioned uh flarity's injury wasn't shoulder related i meant to say it wasn't elbow related the final injury for flarity was i believe a shoulder strain gotcha. Uh um, but he you know obviously has had um you know the whole off season to recover gotcha gotcha
1: now I'm going to jump a little forward just because since we're talking about at the moment, some of the mailbag questions we had were specifically related to uh, injured players. and People want to know about pitchers, mm-hmm. specifically injured veterans. Um, we had one of our PL Plus supporters, Lindell, uh, was asking your thoughts on Cindergaard. Now, Noah Cindergaard is going 191st overall, now a member of the Los Angeles Angels as we mentioned earlier. Uh, In 2021, he pitched exactly two innings, (laughs) but guess what? He struck out two batters in those two innings. So yeah, Yeah, Syndergaard was out for pretty much the entire season. Um, What are your thoughts on him going into a fresh 2022 with a brand new team?
2: Yeah, pretty, pretty terrified of, of picking him. Can you remind his ADP is much higher than I expected it to be?
1: 192.
2: Okay. So 192, I don't know. I I think what scares me about him is there are other pitchers on the board who I'm confident in who are healthy currently, but outside of that, just, you know, outside of the, like, you know, would you rather have, you know, player X or player Y it's, I I think he, correct me if I'm wrong. He's basically like stopped throwing, like last year he didn't throw his slider because it was painful. Um, and I believe
1: that's right. Yeah,
2: that's really scary. Um, you know, if you're if you're gonna rely on him, especially if you're the Angels and you're paying him what like twenty one million for one year, and you're yeah. losing a draft pick. It was um, a March.
1: It was a March twenty twenty Tommy John surgery mm-hmm. is what he is coming back from, and he came back to pitch those two innings in September. That was his debut of uh, the twenty twenty one season. Was just taking those two innings,
2: basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it just feels like there's so much unknown. And then again with Syndergaard, like he's kind of had that reputation throughout his career as just being like a hard thrower um, and not like a complete pitcher. And maybe that changes as like, you know, he he kind of grows in his career and maybe it'll be the case this next year. Um, But it just feels like there's so many question marks around him that I don't want to take not only the injury risk, but just the risk that he just doesn't contribute in the way that, you know, you know, you're expecting him to, um, I'm trying to think of like names of of guys who are around that, that level. Like I'd rather, you know, take a shot on Mike Clevenger or, um, you know, not exciting, but Jose or is going probably like a couple picks ahead of Syndergaard. Um, You know, honestly, between the two, I'd rather have Patrick Sandoval over Noah Syndergaard, you know, injury risk aside.
1: Yeah, basically Um, going one round apart at the moment.
2: Yeah, Waskari Noah. Like, I'm just going through now and looking at names, and there's so many of them, either a few picks before or multiple picks after, that I just feel a lot more comfortable with, um, you know, taking a shot on. Um, It's just hard to envision, like, a scenario where like something doesn't go wrong it's not like the angels have this like sterling reputation of rehabbing pitchers um so that doesn't make me a whole lot more confident in it either um so i'll be avoiding cinder uh but i do understand like the allure of, of taking that taking the chance on him absolutely
1: then we had another question from a supporter la williams Uh, Wants to know about Syndergaard's former teammate, Carlos Carrasco. Now, Carrasco dealt with a myriad of injuries last year. He tore his hamstring in April, which had him out for the majority of the year. Dealt with a bit of a thumb strain as well. And then after the season, he had surgery to remove bone spurs from his shoulder, or from his elbow. So... Not great for Carrasco, who is going into his age 35 season. And when he was on the field last year, it wasn't pretty. Uh, he made 12 starts for the Mets, um, pitched in 53 and two thirds innings for 50 strikeouts and a 604 ERA. That was Carlos Carrasco. He is being drafted 294th. So people are seemingly pretty out on Carrasco. That is. At the very back end of most drafts, some leagues he might even go undrafted. Um, what are your thoughts as the Carlos Carrasco is supposedly going to be healthy come spring training for the Mets?
2: Yeah, I, I don't really have many like strong opinions just because I haven't totally like you know dove deep on on him. but I will say at that at that ADP, I'm pretty sure his velocity looked good down the stretch last year. Um, obviously the results were poor, but if you're in just like a, you know, your standard 12 team league, um, he seems like a great dart throw, uh, at like the la- you know, one of the last couple rounds of your draft. Um, he's going to, you know, obviously be pitching behind a very strong supporting cast. And I know that like, you can't really project wins and things like that, but like wins are a part of fantasy baseball and he's going to be behind a much improved, uh, Mets team. Um, so that has me a little more confident, especially at that, um, that point in the draft. I know the injuries are certainly a concern, but, you know, coming from Cleveland, he does have a history of, you know, he, he's pitched at least like 180 innings, um, on at least like three occasions throughout his career. So, you know, at this stage of his career, at this age, I don't think if he's like performing well, I don't think the Mets are really going to hold him back. Um, I think they'll let him pitch deep into games. And I think you'll know fairly quickly whether he's like worth your time on your roster. Um, So for that reason, at that price, I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty a okay with just taking a shot on Carlos Carrasco and um, you know, seeing how it works. He is a guy that I'd want to like take a look at more closely in spring training, whatever spring training looks like, we don't know. Um, But he is a guy that I think, could really either shoot up draft boards or kind of go the other way, depending on what spring training looks like.
1: I absolutely agree there. And the last one L.A. Williams was also asking about is Steven Strasburg. Mm. Now, Strasburg last year dealt with a neck strain that kept him out uh, past uh, mid-June. Um, he dealt with something else early in the season that I can't quite remember. And I wasn't able to find quick enough, but he only yeah. pitched five games, uh, 21 and two-thirds innings, uh, to the tune of 21 strikeouts and a 457 ERA, very small sample, of course. But the big issue was he had thoracic outlet surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, July 27th was that date. It is not known at this point whether or not he's going to be ready for spring training. He began throwing again, uh, early November. And so there is a chance he'll be ready for spring training. If we assume it is the standard, uh, spring training dates, but it's not for sure.
2: Yeah. I, it hurts to say as a Nats fan, but I am expecting literally nothing from Steven Strasburg. Um, this coming year, it's. I don't know, like, there's not really an extensive history of people coming back from Thoracic Outlet and succeeding at the major league level. Like, I think it's more likely that you never really come back and perform at even like a, you know, league average level. Um, I know, I, I believe the next strain was like, I, and don't quote me on this, but I believe the next strain was like kind of. I don't know if I don't want to say misdiagnosed, but it was I I think a lot of his injuries like at the root cause was the thoracic outlet. Mm -hmm. Um, The year before he had surgery for like carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, And so he's had all these like strange little like things crop up over the last couple of years and they could never really pinpoint why the pain kept coming back. Um, And, you know, it, it just doesn't feel. Uh, I, I don't feel really confident that he's going to be able to contribute next year. And maybe he does come back and um, you know, the Nats put him in the rotation. Cause there's, you know, not a lot of, of guys in front of him pre- preventing him from getting in a rotation spot. But I imagine with their like lack of expectations for this year, that they're really going to ease him in and not let him go that deep into games. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have nothing to, to back this up, but just like watching him over the last year or two, he's just like constantly looked like he's been in pain, like actual like physical pain while pitching. Um, and so you just wonder, like, is he ever going to be fully healthy again in his career? Um, so for that reason, he's like not a guy that I'm probably even going to like, you know, take a dart throw at and, you know, hope for the best, um, which pains me to say after how well he did in the, the 2019 uh, yeah. playoffs. But, Cause I mean, He's such a great talent. It's just the health um, is not something I think you can really bank on.
1: Here's a pop quiz for you. Since uh, Steven Strasburg debuted at age 21 in 2010, how many times has he thrown more than 170 innings in a season?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, Would it be, I don't know, twice? No, actually once. Would it be Once. It's been four times,
1: actually. Really? He had 183 innings in 2013. Okay. His best season is arguably 2014 when he Mm -hmm. threw 215 innings, 242 strikeouts, 314 ERA. He did that. uh, He barely made it to that 170 mark, 175 in 2017, and then, of course, 2019. Yeah. Had the two hundred nine innings, two hundred fifty one strikeouts. So yeah.
2: I was thinking of twenty fourteen and twenty nineteen. Those are the yep. two years that that stood. Those out. are his two
1: good seasons. He also made it in thirteen and seventeen as well. But he's just been riddled with injuries. Now to speak to that thoracic outlet surgery, uh, like I said, there's not a lot of uh, good news when it comes to the history of that. Here are some notable names who have. Attempted to make a comeback after getting thoracic outlet surgery. Matt Harvey, yikes. Josh Beckett, Phil Hughes, Chris Young, Chris Carpenter, Alex Cobb, Vince Velasquez, and Tyson Ross. Hmm. The only one who's been like serviceable afterwards has been Cobb. And he's not even, he's not great. He's just serviceable.
2: Mm -hmm. So it is. Carpenter, was was that the end of his career?
1: I believe it was. Okay, I think he, yeah. I think he pitched like one, maybe two more years. Okay. After
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, not a good outlook when you're looking at those names.
1: No, those are, that is, it's pretty bad news. So <laughs> I would, I am not personally interested in Strasburg. He's currently going 271st overall mm-hmm. on average. And uh, I just think there's better darts to throw at that point. Um, There's it's, looking at some of the other names around that range. Uh let's see here.
2: I mean, I'd rather have Carrasco, you know, he's yeah. going later, but I'd rather have his teammate, uh, Josiah Gray. Um, I yep. know he's he's going probably around the same area. Um I don't know. I don't
1: Marco have... Gonzalez is two eighty four. Mm-hmm. I like that better. Uh Zach Grinky is two sixty six. I take Grinky over over uh over him. Where John, is like a. Don Gray is going 267. Where's Zach like a Zach Lysak.
2: Lysak. I was That's the guy's. is 267 as like, well. I'm not so, a Zach Gleesack fan, but like he seems like a solid bet to give you innings. And that's more than you can say for Strasburg. So like yeah. even guys like that, like, you know.
1: Josiah Gray is going 286. Mm-hmm. Josiah Gray sounds like a much better option than Strasburg to me. Yeah. They're going it's basically a shame, right next to each other, but not yeah. in on Strasburg. Yeah, I unfortunately, thoracic outlet surgery is almost a career killer mm-hmm. for uh, pitchers. If if Strasburg comes back and pitches well, he would essentially be the first. Yeah,
2: it'd be the exception to the rule, which you never <laughs> know. But it's not something I want to bank on. Exactly.
1: All right. Well, I think that about covers our injuries <laughs> on that dour note, but. Let's go ahead and get into a bit of the mailbag here. So we do like to devote a large portion of the podcast to answering your questions on the air. If you've got those questions for me and my guest, you can tweet them to me at Bristowski or better yet, join our PL plus discord server. I always ask over there and it is the best way to get in. We'd be happy to grade your trades, offer analysis on a player you've been wondering about or ans- answer any number of other inquiries. The first question comes from myself. <laughs> so, I don't watch football. I know so little about football. So I want you to explain to me as if I'm five, what the Rams need to do today to walk away with a victory.
2: Cool. So I'll preface it with trying to like relate this to fantasy baseball. The Rams kind of built their team as like the, the, the team in like your salary cap draft who did like the stars and scrubs approach. Um, so What they need to do is have their stars, uh, you know, the guys they've invested heavily in, um, you know, Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, uh, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, like they all have to be on top of their game. Um, And the supporting cast just kind of has to do their jobs. Um, Kind of like how you think when you do the stars and scrubs approach, where like if you're going to like pay up for two or three stars, like they have to hit for your team to even have a chance. Um, So that's my best uh, comp to fantasy baseball. Other than that, uh, the Rams need to, on the defensive side of the ball, um, they need to get to Joe Burrow without bringing the blitz. Um, And they definitely have the ability to do that. Uh, Burrow got sacked nine times in the first playoff game um, against the Raiders, um, which is um, a lot if you don't follow football. Um, The Rams have two Hall of Famers on their defensive line and Von Miller and Aaron Donald. So they just got to kind of, wreak havoc without having to send extra men uh on the blitz. Um so that would be the big one. And then the final thing I would say as a Rams fan, um what their key to win is on the offensive side of the ball, just think like cross your fingers that Matt Stafford um like takes care of the ball. And there's been a couple times, uh more than a couple times throughout the year uh where he's made some like head scratching interceptions um so if there's just those one or two plays where instead of like firing the ball like deep into double coverage he just decides to like throw it away i think they have uh you know they'll they'll win the game um so those are the you know the two big things don't throw interceptions when you don't need to which sounds obvious and uh you know get to joe burrow without having to you know bring the blitz
1: i like it um another thing as a non-football fan uh, I understand that the since their move to Los Angeles, the Rams' updated uniforms have been a bit contentious. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the very bright colors, this very simplified uh, logo?
2: Yeah, you know, maybe it's because I just don't like change. I was mm-hmm. very anti, you know, switch. I, I think they're like throwbacks that they wore in the last Super Bowl against the Patriots a few years ago. Like I would have loved it if they stuck with those. Um, not a fan of the, the like bright yellow pants, like the highlighter yellow pants and the, um, you know, very royal blue uniforms. Um, I've come around a bit to them. I think the more you get used to these things, the more you're, um, you know, willing to, you know, accept them and like them. The more you see them, the more you're used to them. I will say though, I think their old logo with the ram on it was like one of the best logos in sports and they switched to like the most like bland um like kind of boring logo out there um so i'll never get over that but um yeah i'm kind of not a fan of the uniforms but i'm coming around a little bit
1: i get that yeah i i definitely have an appreciation for graphic design and while I am a big fan of w- when simplicity is done well, I don't love the Rams no. new logo. And the old one was, you're right. It was very good. It was classy.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and they spent two years coming up with like the uniform and, you know, not to, not to knock You know, any of the people that came up with it, cause you know, I'm sure tr- so much went into it, but I did like if they just like, didn't just decide to go back to the drawing board on everything. Like you could have, you could have kept some of the things from the, the St. Louis and the early LA years, but that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Now, we'd had another question from uh, Envita, another one of our supporters in the staff here. Uh, What do you think of the Marcus Freeman hire? Now, you explained to me before we started recording, this was a question referring to to the Notre Dame football program, of which I know even less than NFL so go on yeah so talk to the listeners not to me
2: I would say that I'm a huge fan um it was a bitter pill to swallow when they um totally let the uh, Fiesta Bowl just slip through their through their fingers um Austin for for context for you they I believe they had a 24 point lead in the first half in the Fiesta Bowl and then just like it very quickly all fell apart and they lost. Oh, and no. that was his debut as the coach. He, his first game was in the bowl game. Uh, their former coach, Brian Kelly, basically interviewed with LSU like in the dead of night and like went from being like, I'll retire at Notre Dame to uh, I'm now the coach at LSU. Oh, no. Um, you, you know, you, just out of nowhere. Um, but back to Marcus Freeman, seems like a really, um, you know, really genuine guy, which I think is is really important, especially when you're recruiting and coaching college kids. Um, and I think he's just going to bring like a really positive energy, um, you know, into their football facility. And I, he's going to be a great recruiter, which I think has been a little bit in the gap between like Notre Dame and, uh, you know, let's say like five to 10 schools who are consistently there. Um, Notre Dame's there. There's just like a gap in the recruiting aspect. So I think he's going to close that gap and, um, you know, Hopefully they will be like perennial college football playoff participants now. I love it.
1: Now, is there any kind of behind the scenes insight you can give us in the Notre Dame program, at least when you were there? Is there any, any interesting kind of tidbits? Like I would be curious, um, Notre Dame is a very religious school, uh, mm-hmm. Very is Roman Catholic, yep. uh, very religious school. Does that have any effect on the sports programs?
2: <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Like Notre Dame is definitely unique from a college football perspective, um, and like the religious aspect, they do like every Friday, um, you know, before a game, uh, they they'll have a mass, a, like a team mass, before they go to like the pep rally, um, and before whether it's you know home or away game, you stay at a hotel. Um, so if it's a home game, you go to the pep rally and then um, like the buses take you to the, this hotel in South Bend where they stay the night before the game. So regardless of it's a home or away game, the team has a, a mass before the game, which is, I, I think, unique to Notre Dame. I'm sure maybe a couple other schools may do something if they have a religious affiliation. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame is the one that comes to mind, um, you know, when you think about like college football teams. Sure. Some form of, you know, yeah. Um, Yeah, outside of that, um, I I definitely think Notre Dame, it's like there's some like intricacies with like how they can recruit. Um, It's a lot harder just the way like academics are structured at Notre Dame to get transfer students. Right. Um, So like transfer students at other programs, um, like I don't believe, like it's harder for them to get admitted if they're like not on track to graduate under like Notre Dame's, um, you know, like first year of studies program. Uh, So there are definitely some, like, you know, interesting, like, wrinkles uh, to things um, in in that way. Um, But, um, yeah, so I, like, like I said, worked there for four years, loved the program. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the one thing that was shocking to me was just, like, how good the players were at, like, you know, just, you know, treating me. Um, You think, like, sometimes, like, they probably have these, like, larger-than-life personalities. um, But... I would say, you know, I was shocked with just like how well and how nice they were to me uh, throughout my time there. I definitely appreciated that. And now that I'm graduating, a lot of those guys are like in the NFL. um, It's fun to see them like succeeding and knowing that, you know, they're just like good people off the field too. Um, And I I think that's something, or I hope, um, you know, and I think it's something that Notre Dame tries to do when they recruit people, you know, recruit guys who are going to represent the university. Well, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's as someone who has a bit of a background in higher education, it's always interesting uh, to hear about different facets of mm-hmm. that. Um, Cause I'm not very into college sports. And so I don't follow that aspect. And I, I, I didn't think about Notre Dame as a private school with very high standards of education, generally speaking to get in as a freshman, you want like a three, six GPA or higher. Um, that definitely would have some very strange effects on transfer students. Cause you think Mm -hmm. about all these state schools where public schools, a lot of times you can get your credits transferring over very easily. Um, It's a lot harder to do that at private institutions. So that's something I hadn't considered. So very interesting to get that kind of insight. I appreciate that.
2: Of course. Yeah. I will say their last three transfers Two of them have come from Northwestern and one has come from the Naval Academy. So it's like there's like a pool of kind of schools that like have similar like first year studies courses that they kind of like can more easily like transfer all over their, their transfer their credits to. Um, so so schools like that are almost like, um, you know, prime candidates uh, for Notre Dame if like they're looking for a transfer player.
1: That's awesome. Very cool. Well, that's about all I've got. Uh, any closing thoughts for you, here, Anthony?
2: Um, I don't think so. Really enjoyed uh, getting on the podcast. This is my first uh, first time on a podcast, and um, you know, really excited to uh, to get on the list. Um, and if uh, you know, you guys have any questions, you can always reach me at Anthony Tucker eighty one on Twitter. I Always like talking baseball or anything else. So. Um, chat with me there or in the PL discord because always like, uh, jumping in there and talking baseball.
1: You beat me to it. I was going to, that's all I always ask. Where can they find you on Twitter? You beat me to it. And you know what? You did great for your first podcast debut. I'm going to have to recommend you to all the other shows to get you on and get some of your (laughs) insights. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. This has been on the list. (music) Oh, 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 oh oh, 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 oh,
2: oh, 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 oh